HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. Learn more at restaurantworkerscf.org. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring food for the eyes, how the art and culinary worlds collide. It's incredibly elaborate. It's a feast for the eyes, a banquet dinner with garnished ham, turkey, and an array of accompaniments. We shot uh, baguettes with like paint dripping off of them with the blue, white, and red from the French flag. Oh, what did the student tell me? They said, the camera eats first. And it's so true. It's so true. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, welcome to The Feed Feed, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. I'm Jay Cohen, editorial director of The Actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, and drink. Today, we are getting a crash course in cookbook writing from two of the industry's top forces. We have Adina Sussman and Raquel Pelzel. Um, did I say that right? Perfect. Beautiful. Um, thank you both so much for coming. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Um, so to get right in, you both have really successful cookbooks that came out this year. And it's not like this is your first rodeo. You have been really like seasoned in the cookbook industry. I would love to just start out by kind of like a background of how you got to where you are today, um, what was your journey to writing your first book, and to getting to this book right now this year. Obviously, we have Umami Bomb by Raquel and Sababa by Adina that are both on like every best cookbook list I see when I'm like scrolling through my uh, Instagram feed. You go, go first. You go, Rock. You go. <laughs> Rock and I are very close friends, so we're always deferring to one another. Um, well... I have been co-authoring books for about 10 years and I used to read cookbooks like novels and about 20 years ago I started seeing someone's name Melissa Clark on all the cookbooks that I was enjoying reading and I was like who is this person and what is her job how, why is she on Danielle Belude's book cover and that, that was how I discovered that cookbook co-authoring was even a profession and I didn't know anyone doing it meanwhile Raquel was already doing it successfully and one of the first people to really rock that space and 
um, soon after I started doing that, we actually met and became close friends. But um, from there, I just wrote a lot of books. I had done a lot of things in the food industry beforehand. And I think co-authoring is great if you're someone who can put her own ego to the side, really try enjoys helping someone else realize their vision, but also have real input and say into the process, both from a culinary perspective and a literary perspective. And it's been a great ride for me. And I still plan to continue co-authoring um, in addition to doing my own books. So that's like a very short <laughs> introduction. We could dive in, in shortly once we go. Through yeah, exactly. Um, wow. Um, so I, I guess I first got into cookbooks, um, it was during the blackout of 2003. So I'd moved to New York in 2002 and then there was that big blackout mm -hmm. and, um, I was living in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn and I was out for a walk and I met a neighbor and his name was Severe and he was a chef and we became very close friends. Um, and he, his first cookbook called Indian Home Cooking had just come out. And, um, Suvir Saran? Suvir Saran. Yeah. Yes, he um, had some restaurants in New York City for a while and just moved back to Delhi where he's opening a new spot. Um, but we became super good friends and it just kind of organically formed into this, why don't you write my cookbook? Um, I had worked at Cooks Illustrated before then. I'd been in food publishing, you know, um, since what well, I went to cooking school in 95 and I've been in food since then. Um, and I'd never written a cookbook before, but I'd written a lot about food and I knew how to test recipes from my experience at Cooks. So it was just this wonderful natural partnership. And then um, we wrote a book together called American Masala that came out with Clarkson Potter where I'm now the editorial director of cookbooks. Full circle. Totally crazy weird. Um, and um, I was introduced to Sevier's agent and, and then, you know, my first editor, Pam Krause, who was at Potter and Rodale, um, she um, kind of liked my work and then started asking me to write other books. And I just kind of started, I, it just kind of happened really naturally in a, in a wonderful, um, circuitous way. And and then Adina and I met at a photo shoot. We were actually heard about Adina <laughs> through a pediatric dentist, one of Adina's best friends, who the best pediatric dentist, if anyone's looking for Do one. Dr. Dr. Ruby, Ruby Gelman. Gelman. <laughs> always, always looking. Everyone in the industry goes to her. Everyone does. Um, and yeah, and it's just been this wonderful way to, you know, learn about food. I think, as Adina said, you really, as a, as a collaborator um, on a book, you really have to check your ego because um, you're approaching every book kind of with a fresh slate and asking lots of questions and trying to learn the process and thoughts of whom you're working with. And right. It's always from a place of learning. Like we quote unquote are the cooking experts, but really I think both of us feel that every time we cook a book with someone else, we end up learning so much about so someone's much. culture, techniques, tricks. You know, there's always so much to learn technically from cooking, whether you're learning from a novice cook or someone who has 40 years cooking experience. It's really fascinating. And but I always think they're kind of like, they look at us like, oh, at least I feel this way. Like, they look at me like I'm the biggest idiot because I'm asking all these super basic questions like, why did you add salt then? Or why aren't you yeah. adding pepper? You know, but it's really because you're trying to um, approach everything as a home like as a home cook who's maybe never cooked before and you're trying to ask all these questions. Right, and just not make a lot of assumptions about the process yeah. from step one till the end. Let's dive into this a little because, Adina, you obviously co-authored both of Chrissy Teigen's cookbooks. Yes. Um, in addition to many others. How many cookbooks in total? I've done 11. I think Raquel has done like 11,000. Exactly. <laughs> How many have you done? Like 20? 20-something. Uh, 20 22, yeah. 20. I don't know. 
So, um, yeah, I started working with Chrissy about five years ago. I had written the book proposal for Candace Nelson for the Sprinkles Baking Cookbook. And both Chrissy and Candace are represented by William Morris, WME. So I was introduced to Chrissy and John, and they hired me to work on the book. And I ended up moving out to L.A. for a few months to live in their home and (laughs) cook uh, with Chrissy and John and Chrissy's mom, Pepper, um, what well, was that like? It was incredibly fun. Um, Chrissy's a very impulsive cook, so I was sort of around and on call. And you know, sometimes I'd get a text from her, even though she was in the next room, and we'd spend an hour texting back and forth, riffing recipe mm-hmm. ideas. And then Instacart would be, you know, called into service, and groceries would show up, and we'd just start cooking. And sometimes we'd cook one thing a day, sometimes we'd cook 12. And Chrissy is a very instinctual cook with a really great uh, palate and just knows what she likes, which I think is the most helpful um, attribute of someone that you're writing with. If someone has a strong culinary point of view, like it makes the process very easy. And she, we both, I think we're both really open to learning from one another. And she has a half Thai background and a wonderful Thai mom, uh, Pepper, who cooked me a home-cooked Thai meal the first night that I got there at 10 p.m. Because Chrissy and John were like on a jet from Europe or something. Casual. And, um, you know, it was both a lot of like re-sort of codifying recipes she had been cooking with her family forever and also coming up with new ideas, a lot of which I call like almost socially unacceptably spicy, <laughs> bacony, <laughs> salty, cheesy, but you know super delicious. And it was a great experience from start to finish. Very intense. We did the entire book from start to finish in about four months. It's amazing, including all the writing. Wow, all the recipe developing, editing by Francis Lamb. It was it was insane. And for someone at home, like what is that process typically like, in terms of the timeline? Um. Well, Jake, why don't you tell us? It's very exciting. You're working on your first book. So about a year is generally, I would say, the average. Some people turn it in in as little as eight months. Oftentimes, it'll go to a year and a half, I think, depending on the schedule. So I think a year is kind of the standard time to actually for the author to work on the book. And two years is the standard time for when a book is sort of fomented till it comes out. Although every publisher Raquel can speak to this more like there can be rush projects if there's a hole in the schedule or things yeah, like that. Sometimes things are moved along mm-hmm. more quickly, but if you think about it, you know, most cookbooks have approximately 100 recipes. Um, so if you break that down into a schedule, say you want to work on five recipes a week, which I think is still a lot. I mean, that's like perfecting five. That's not just yeah. making it once. It's like you make it once you judge it, you critique it, you make it again, you work out the kinks, maybe you make it another time. You know, so that's 15. Feed it, feed it to people that feed, you Exactly, love. get Always. feedback. And so that's go. 15 dishes in a yeah. week, which is a ton. And that's only, that's only you know, 20 in a month. So that would take you five months if you worked at that pace nonstop. And you so, can't. You, you can't cook like that. But you that did it nonstop. in four months. We did. Because <laughs> you're magic. <laughs> well, the stakes were high and I was, it was, it was definitely a crazy experience and book two did not meet the same schedule. It, it had a more normal quote unquote yeah. schedule, although it was also fast. Um, you know, she's an important client, so I devote everything yeah. to her when I'm working with her. Um, and in some ways that was actually, it's fun to be that focused if you're like in the zone and in some, right in someone's culinary brain yeah, and palate, great. you just... 
you're, you're building on like, you know, oh, she likes sweet pickle relish. And, yeah. You know, and really spicy. So let's let's try and riff that on another recipe. And, you know, you're, you can when you're writing a book, it's often about like being able to lay everything out like a rummy cube board and see all the pieces and, you know, make oh, sure you're that. not duplicating, I swapping things in and out. So to have that holistic view in front of you in a short period of time, like it, it tends to work really well. Yeah. And, uh, and now we're publishing Pepper's book. It's coming yeah. out in spring 2021. It's going to be so fun. Yeah. So She's fun. so great. She's such a good cook. Great on Instagram. I love yes. all yes. Chrissy's content around her. And she's really been, I think, instrumental in introducing millions of people to Thai yeah. staple ingredients through Chrissy's books and now through her own book. It's going to yeah. be wonderful. Raquel, let's talk about edibles. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> you have co-written such incredibly diverse cookbooks you did breaking bread with uri from bread's bakery which is iconic it's one of my uri. favorite cookbooks ever oh, thank you. um in addition to working with sedelia marley <laughs> on a cannabis cookbook yeah that was fun um <laughs> it was so funny so when um i heard about that book i'm like yes i absolutely have to do that book um, and you know, in, in, this was a few years ago and, you know, I have two kids and I had to be very careful with my contract, you know, that I didn't want it to mention edibles or marijuana or anything in the contract because the stigma around cannabis was really different. Um, how many know, years ago was this? I think I started working on it in 20, yeah, 2015. So, you know, four years ago. Um, but I heard about the project maybe in 2014 and sometimes it takes a while for things to kind of happen mm-hmm. um so I, I wanted to be really careful and i wanted to make sure that um it would be okay for me to develop all the recipes here in brooklyn but then actually cross test them with um with cannabis like butter or oil in uh at a friend's house in portland where everything was legal and you know on the books and everything was great and oh my gosh it was just the funniest story like how uh, we I, I went with a friend to this restaurant and we met like this former DEA agent who now of course like inspects cannabis kitchens and edibles kitchens because it's this whole new industry so people used to be you know on the policing side of things are now on the regulatory side um, and we had dinner and then we went out to their car and they handed us like giant bags of weed like, <laughs> Like, like the size of a small pillow. Because <laughs> I didn't know, I you know, I had never made can of oil. And I didn't realize that you needed actually a very small amount to make a very large amount of oil or butter. So we ended up with, I don't know, a half pound, I don't know, a ton. <laughs> it was hysterical. Um, and my friend uh, gave lots of jars of can of oil out to her friends for the holidays. <laughs> so the so best ultimate host hostess gift. gift. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Sadella was wonderful. You know, it was really fun. I got to go to Florida and meet um, her and the family and we cooked together and, um, you know, we incorporated a lot of her or the, her favorite dishes and the dishes from her kids. And, you know, uh, Bob Marley was drinking green juice like back in the day. Like, you know, it, there's actually this guy, um, I think he's still alive. His name is Juicy and he used to, you know, live in Kingston and he would hang out outside Bob Marley's house and, and Juicy would make juice. And, you know, so there's, and Sadella eats very, very healthfully um, and mostly vegetarian, if not vegan. So the book was, you know, pretty clean. And then, you know, you can make every, each dish either with or without the cannabis butter or oil. It was really fun. This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. 
RWCF addresses quality of life issues that disproportionately affect restaurant workers, such as wage fairness, gender equity, racial justice, immigrant rights, mental health, and substance abuse. Learn more about advocacy, grant making, and impact investing by RWCF at restaurantworkerscf.org. So let's take it back. So for a lot of people at home, including myself, because Raquel, we talked about two years ago, I think, on the phone when I first was entertaining the idea of writing a cookbook. And most people who have this idea of like cookbooks are on this beautiful pedestal where I mean I still read them I have an entire bookshelf dedicated to my favorite ones like it's one of those things where we say print is dead all the time but I really don't think that's the case for cookbooks Uh um but people don't understand how much work goes into (laughs) even the process before you get a deal um so we chatted briefly, and then I was actually coached by Erin McDowell, who was on the podcast before, who's writing her second book right now. She shared with me her proposal, and this mm-hmm. is the first time I saw kind of like what a, a beast a proposal is. Yeah. Um, what was like it like doing your first proposals? Uh, something that you told me, Raquel, was the prevalence of rejection <laughs> um, of even the most successful cookbook authors having rejected proposals or ideas that have to stay dormant for years. Yeah, yeah, it happens. You know, something I've learned actually now that I'm kind of on the other side and working at a publisher is that, and I think I would kind of put this in my pocket, you know, kind of you, if you're, if, if you get rejected by a publisher, it's not because they don't like your idea. It's because your idea doesn't necessarily fit in with their list or with their program. And I think, you know, if you're interested in writing a cookbook, really putting a little bit of time into researching what every publishing house, whatever publishing house that publishes cookbooks, what books they've put out and what they do. And it's almost like, you know, when you first get into and, you know, Adina, like when you first get into food writing and you, you're trying to you know figure out where to pitch an idea. So you're looking at the different columns. And now, sadly, there's fewer food magazines, but you'd pick up a food magazine like The Late Departed Gourmet, which I think is 10 years, just had its 10 year it last is. month, yeah. right? In November. It's 10 year demise. Yeah. Know. Death anniversary. Oh, so sad. <laughs> Yard site. I actually exactly. found the November, the last issue in my office when yeah. I was cleaning it out a few months ago. Which is- Raquel and I actually did a, at um, IACP last year, we did a cookbook proposal boot camp. And it's really interesting to see the ideas that people have and to sort of try and balance, you know, like a personal passion with something that's going to be marketable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to step back from your idea and be realistic about like making sure that enough people are going to want to buy Buy this book to make it viable and make it attractive to a publisher. So, you know, I had written so many co-authors, so many cookbooks, but I wrote an 85 page book proposal and I spent a long time on it to make sure that it was very comprehensive and that it really addressed all the questions that a publisher would have about why this book would sell, why I was the person to write it. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a huge social media following when I sold my book two years ago. I was still relative to a lot of people don't. But I was very specific about why Israeli food and why me right now to write the book. And I provided a lot of evidence, including marketing. You have to put in like a whole section about how you're going to market the book 
who your contacts are, um, competitive books that have come out and their pluses and minuses Mm -hmm. and, you know, sample chapter and introduction. My introduction to my proposal ended up being the introduction to my book because I worked so hard to make it really evocative and tell the story. So, you know, I spend months on a proposal. It's really the the um, skeleton outline Mm -hmm. for your cookbook. And um, it should really leave no stone unturned so that when, you know, an editor receives it at a publishing house, they can really um, assess it and, and envision it on their list. And I think that's the goal to get as many um, offers as possible. But it is important for people starting out to realize that probably 95% of books that sell to publishers are sold through agents. It's not done directly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but editors, I think, prefer to work through agents these days for a lot of reasons. And I mean, I love my agent, Janice Dunno. And one of the reasons that I do is a because she's goes to bat for me all the time. But also having an agent allows you to focus on the creative process with your eventual editor as opposed to doing the nitty gritty of negotiating Mm. international rights or, you know, budgets for photography or even just, you know, it can get contentious when you're negotiating mm-hmm. a cookbook deal. And like, I like to leave my relationship with my editor pure and creative. And so to me, it's worth every penny that I pay my agent. Yeah. And an agent can also, an agent will really help you shape your proposal um, and ask yes. you lots of questions and make sure it's, you know, totally tight, you know, watertight before you send it out to publishers so that there's, you know, it's it's um, coming in super clean. Obviously, there's no typos or grammatical errors, but also your concept is really um, straightforward. It's easy to understand. You can get it right away. Um, all of that really good stuff. So an agent helps with a lot mm-hmm. of that. Best agents are brutally honest. Love it. No, you know, you Love brutal you honesty. You don't want someone to just tell you your idea is great yeah. if it sucks because then it'll get to the ed- you'll get rejections all over town. It's not worth it. You mentioned uh, about social media and yeah. your social media following. And yeah. um, I think one of the most interesting things about the kind of evolution of cookbooks right now mm-hmm. is who is able to write them. It mm-hmm. used to be like there was this kind of small group of distinguished mm-hmm. food writers that could co-author, could write cookbooks. And now because of social media, because of food blogs, we're seeing all of these people, um, this new kind of class of cookbook authors, the the Smitten Kitchens, the Joy the Bakers. Yeah. Um, what role... The Jake Cohens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, what role does that play when you're kind of looking for um, approving a proposal? You know, we're looking for someone with a unique perspective and that has a strong voice and that cooks. Um, You know, at Potter, actually in our contracts, we we, um, have a a provision that ensures that all recipes are cross-tested, meaning that, you know, not only have you tested your recipes, but you've actually given them to someone else to cross-test as well. Um, Because it's that important to us that the recipes really work because all you need is one bad review on Amazon um, and, you know, people see that and, and might not buy the book. So um, that's, you know, super, super important. I'm laughing just because cross-testing. I'm in the cross-testing <laughs> yeah. phase of my book right now. and I always say that, you know, if someone doesn't like my writing or the photo- photographs of my book or the design, that's subjective. But if I see that a recipe didn't work, that I really oh. failed someone. You always hold your breath. I, yeah, yeah, I look at all the reviews on Amazon with like one eye yeah. open. But Jake, I mean, you know, you're a good example. So you have a large social media following, but you also went to the Culinary Institute and you have a sound culinary underpinning and you work 
worked in the severe test kitchen and other places. So, you know, I think for people who are interested in writing books, it's great that if you have a social media following, but you also really need to understand the fundamentals of cooking and absolutely know how to cook. And you, you are, it's a really important platform that you have. You are teaching people how to cook. It is sacred. It's uh, the kitchen is a holy place and you need to like be the, pre- you know, the, the, the priest. Yeah. You need to bring them to it. You're you asking know? people to make an investment, <laughs> to spend their money, to spend their time, to go to the grocery store. On to, the book and yeah. on food and time. Exactly. So, you know, so. If something that doesn't work, it's kind of devastating. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, there are a lot of recipes that I scrapped in my book because they were too complicated or mm. there was an ingredient that in Israel was easy to find, but was not easy to replicate or to find in is mm-hmm. in America. And, you know, you have to really, again, like take your ego out of the process and look very soberly at your work and make sure that what you're putting out there is something that people are going to be able to, re- to, re- to do at home. And, and that's do well. what, I mean, that's what we look for, you know, when we're buying books as we look for, um, unique voices we look for recipes that are interesting we look for um, unique points of view um, a, a nice following definitely helps um, but that said we've published books by from you know authors that don't have a couple thousand followers because sometimes the idea is so great um, and so interesting that we see it working in um, different ways through than, than rather just you know through their social media people buying it. Amazing. I mean, this is a great transition to our lightning round where mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw out some questions and really short answers, kind of just kind of get your uh, your pulse on the food world right now. So the first would be, um, who are you following on Instagram that you're super kind of digging? They could be super small. They could be big. Um, you could want them to write a cookbook or another cookbook. Oh, Wow. Well, um, I follow Danny Trejo because we're publishing his book in April and he's really inspiring and amazing. Like he rescued a child from a car a few months ago that went viral like craziness. Um, who else? Allison Roman, of course. Adina, obviously, because I feel like I'm in the shook with her when she's in Israel. Every going time. Through, always. Feed Feed always has so many great recipe ideas and um, so many great people contributing to, to recipes and content. Um, who else? I wish Jen Garner would write a cookbook. Ooh. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh, we're going to make this happen. I, I, you know, she's so, um, I think all her three love of food us. is so authentic and all sweet and wonderful. Can there be three yeah. co-authors? I think so. Why all not? Right. There you go. <laughs> um, I like to follow people outside of the food world to inspire me. So like, I like Mindy Kaling. Like, I love following her. Michelle Obama. Um, Give her a cookbook. Yeah, right. (laughs) A lot of musicians. um, Obviously, my friends like Raquel, Sarah Kate, Gillingham, um, Chrissy, partly as a way to keep in touch and find to make sure I know what's going on with her. Um, But yeah, it is it is interesting. um, Also living overseas now. Um, It's a great way to communicate and meet other bloggers. I also like I've become friends with Gabby Dalkin of what's Gabby cooking over Instagram and a bunch of other people like that. So it's, and you know, it's also a really great way if you're want to do a book, like look at the images that you like and the style of recipes and 
we actually, through Gabby, um, I really liked her photography and we were looking for a photographer to work on the photography for Chrissy's new Cravings website. And we're now working with Gabby's team, like on Chrissy's website. So like also just a way to stay inspired and see mm-hmm. how other people are photographing things and styling things. Like you can get really good points of reference. Other than Umami Bomb and mm-hmm. Sababa, what are some of your favorite cookbooks that came out this year? Oh, Ooh. Jubilee is so beautiful by Tony Tipton Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a gorgeous book. Um, Indianish I'm... is wonderful. I could say all my books that I <laughs> Um, Let's see. What have I... I mean, I've been on the road for three months, so mm-hmm. I keep buying cookbooks and just putting them in my sister's house in New Jersey. <laughs> I'm taking them all back to Israel tomorrow. But um, I'm really looking forward to cooking from Diana Henry's book, um, which which came out recently. What else have I bought recently? Oh, my gosh. So many. I know. It's hard to. Um, the fall is. Yeah. It's so there's so many good ones. Yeah. Mastering Spice by Lior Love Sarkars oh. is really great. It was co-authored by Genevieve Coe, who's now at the L.A. Times. And, you know, they worked so well together. And I truly think the ideas in there really inspired. Lior is such a master of his craft of mixing, you know, spices. Um, and the way that he puts recipes together is so interesting. Like, I guarantee there's recipes in there that, you know, I would just never even think of adding, you know, the spice combination to an olive oil cake or to, you know, a, a sautéed fish dish or something. It's just really creative and interesting, and I think it opens you up. You know, I'm always looking for books that are inspiring, just like, you know, Adina said yeah. with, with Insta. It's like just stuff yeah. to kind of spark your imagination. I like, I like um, Canale Vanille. Oh, uh, yeah. I just lovely. met her in, in Seattle. Oh, that's so nice. When I was out there on tour, and we met up for coffee and, um, like, sort of congratulated one another on new books, and I'm, you know... Her book, she's gluten-free, but her pastry recipes are supposedly incredible. So Mm. I'm excited to go back. Like, for me, that's an area of baking that I haven't really explored. And actually, I've gotten a lot of questions from people from the Sababa desserts. Like, can can I make this gluten-free? And, you know, I realize now how useful that is for people to have that, you know. So I'm going to explore that. And I think for my next book... Um, I'll be including more gluten-free swap-ins or even just recipes that honestly, like if it's good gluten-free, I might just make it gluten-free and not even have it be gluten-based, you know? So yeah, so that, that was, that's another one that I really, really like. What are some of your favorite cookbooks that have come out? So I really loved Simple Cake. Oh Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I I just think the the whole concept behind like a few master recipes of variations. Yeah, just that's always a so good wonderful. idea. It's an empowering book, I think, because a lot of people who might be scared to bake crack it open and say, oh, this is really not that difficult. Yeah. I can make something beautiful mm-hmm. um, and delicious right away. And then, of course, Leah's The Jewish Cookbook, yes. which yeah. is like such a... Be, like I like I'm struggling with like a, just a regular hundred recipe cookbook. Hers yeah. has like five hundred. <laughs> she it worked was... on it for Leah Koenig. She worked on it for three and a half years. Yeah. Um, it's impressive. It's very beautiful. It it's a really an encyclopedia. Yeah, as much as it is a cookbook for and, sure. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you impressed yourself on a first test of a recipe you were developing and you're like, wow, this <laughs> was perfect? a really good question um it happens rarely for me at least (laughs) yeah i think i mean recipe developing is like a computer coding like 
you know, if you've developed thousands of recipes, you know that if you cook a certain onion in a certain way, in a certain type of oil, in a certain skillet, at a certain temperature, it's going to yield a certain result. So, like, that's a line of code. And you put those all together and you, you, you know in your head that your certain fundamentals of a recipe are going to work. So it's all about how you tweak the code and create like a new quote unquote program. So, you know, if it's something simple, like when I when I did Sababa, there are recipes that I nailed on the first try because it was pretty simple. Like one that I was pretty surprised, like I did an avocado um, za'atar green goddess dressing. And I've done a lot of green goddess dressings, but I wanted to do it non dairy free. So I replaced the buttermilk with avocado and I used mayo um, and it came out really good the first time. You used like a vegan mayo? Mm-hmm. Actually, no, it's not. It's not vegan. It's just dairy free. Eggs are eggs are not considered dairy in yeah. kosher cooking. So, yeah. Um, but you could you could totally use vegan A's or like a good vegan mayo. So that was one that I was happy came out pretty good the first time. Although I think I did tweak the maybe the za'atar. But then there are recipes that you think are going to work great the first time that can literally, I made the... Sometimes it's the simplest ones. I made la crazy, which is like a, oh, like a holy that. bread. Like, yeah. I, I, I think I made it 50 times. Yeah. Until I figured out, like, the secret or the thing that... And also my amba recipe, which I, like, I wanted to do a quick amba as opposed to pickling it for, for five those at days. home, amba is one of my favorite condiments because mm-hmm. my husband's Iraqi. Um, mm-hmm. It is a pickled funky mango mm-hmm. chili sauce that's spiced and beautiful and it's kind of like the the crux of sabih right so i added fish sauce to it because that mim- that mimics the pickling fermentation process that can take like five or six days and i did it in 40 minutes and then i added a teaspoon of soy sauce of a, of a fish sauce to it genius so smart Sometimes you figure it out, Sometimes but it that works. was the 30th time because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the texture. I love the taste. I love the color, but it was just missing that funk. Yeah. And you know, there's nothing funkier than fish sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I did um, a recipe for a, it's going to be in, on the food and wines digital site. I think sometime maybe in January or February, but a sheet pan um, it was like a combination of my sheet pans suppers, Meatless mm-hmm. book with umami bombs. I did a sheet pan butternut squash parm. Um, and I really wanted to take the frying out of it. So I didn't want to have to fry anything. And I wanted to, you know, I'd made the idea kind of came from um, my one son who eats meat, loves schnitzel. Because, you know, schnitzel is like the, I don't know, it's fried chicken. of Chicken fingers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's fancy it's like, chicken it's fingers. Crispy cutlet. Yeah. The best. Um, and my younger son used to love schnitzel, but he's been a vegetarian for a few years now. And, um, so whenever I make Julian schnitzel, I make Reese butternut squash schnitzel. So the idea kind of came from there. And I was like, well, what if I did, I have a, a like a marinara and umami bomb that add, I use a little bit of, um, soy sauce in it. And, you know, tomatoes are a super umami rich ingredient and it has just this really wonderfully bold, complex flavor. So I kind of use that marinara. I made these really delicious breadcrumbs. I was so proud of my Myself. That was that. This all came together in one try. I was like, I even I texted you. I was like, I had so much fun in the kitchen today. Um, I made these breadcrumbs with um, nutritional yeast. They're like best Parmesan so substitute. Good. So good. Um, I love and, nutritional yeast. Yeah, and it was just you know on a sheet pan under the broiler, mm. and it was like just it comes out like you know you have so much surface area because the squash is spread out, so all the cheese mm. gets all like golden and, and yeah. you know burnt around the edges in that perfect way. Ugh, it was just delicious. Um, that came out well. Um, when I was at Tasting Table many, many years we ago. We were both yes, at a Tasting yes. Table at some point. Um, I was there like 
eight, almost eight years ago now. And, um, I was trying to make a, I was trying to develop a recipe for barbecue peanuts and I, and I worked on it. Like it sounds so easy. And I, and I, I don't know, like sometimes you just get stuck and I just got stuck and I hit a wall and I had to like walk away. I was like, I can't do this anymore. If I, if I eat any more peanuts, like I'm going to develop an allergy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, funny enough, nutritional yeast is making an appearance in my favorite part of this podcast, which is a game of fuck, marry, kill. Oh. Um, <laughs> for you, Raquel, I have chosen <laughs> soy sauce, miso, and nutritional yeast. Okay. Do you, do you understand the game? No, tell so me So you how have to, to pick things. <laughs> no, it's like you pick a guy usually, and it's like you pick three guys, and you have yeah. to pick the one you would fuck, marry, yeah. or kill. <laughs> so I have to do But we're doing foods. this. This is fun. It's with foods. We're right. not trying to Jake kill anyone. Yes. So what is like I'm fucking miso? <laughs> exactly. Like but what are you like, passionate what, about? Exactly. But think of it. No, no, no. It's like it's like which which ingredient do you, now. <laughs> which ingredient do you lust for? Which ingredient yeah. could you do you need forever? For and which okay. ingredient could you say goodbye to? Okay, got it, got it, got it. So so between miso, nutritional yeast, and soy sauce, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would think miso is She's definitely the lust everyone. for. <laughs> Well, it's so good. And it's, it's, you can add it to anything and it doesn't, you know, it just gives this underlying kind of backbone of roundness. And, and actually it's wonderful to use instead of butter if you're making a sauce because it adds luscious and creaminess to it. Um, I am blushing. Um, nutritional yeast um, is the one I would marry. And I think I could probably do it without soy sauce. Although I go. do love it. I mean, it's wonderful and I use it all the time. Great answers. Right. Great yeah. answers. And for Adina, we have Zatar, Sumac, and Tahini. It's like Sophie's Choice. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I would kill Sumac. I, I know you love Sumac. I love and I sumac. love it too. And I use it sparingly, but I, I feel that it's the least versatile of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And also, I find that a lot of sumac available in the United States has a stale Mm -hmm. taste to it because it's so high in oil. So you have to be really careful when you're buying sumac to make sure that if you just open it and smell it, if it smells like rancid. It should be tangy. Yeah. So like, so sumac is problematic. Sumac is like the guy you can't, is like, you know, you can't let go of, but you need to. Um, The other two were Zatar. And and Tahini. Tahini I would marry because I wrote the Tahini book for Short Stack and because... I just can never find, I mean, like I, 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 I basically moisturize with it every day. <laughs> <laughs> great for split ends. Great it's just for- so versatile. It's like, you know, it's like Middle Eastern peanut butter. Um, so delicious. A superfood. Great for sweet or savory things. And then Zatar, I would have sex with because <laughs> I love it. And also there are Zatars from many different Middle Eastern countries. So you can keep it interesting. There we go. Good answer. Wow. Um, Well, to wrap this all up, I think my, the the best way to kind of end this kind of conversation on cookbooks is um, where do you see your careers in the next few years? Where do you see cookbooks going? Mm. What do you want to see more of in the cookbook industry? Oh, I love, um, I really love working with authors. I mean, I love writing my own books, but I'm, I'm working with so many incredible people like Rick Martinez, who I know you know from Bon Appetit. He's so inspiring. He's so great. I'm working with Valerie Lomas, who's working on a book for us. Claire Saffitz, um, Ina Garten. I mean, I love working with cookbook authors and, and you know, just really kind of getting into each recipe and editing and, 
And um, I, I love discovering new voices. I just love, you know, finding authors, finding finding people who love food, who have a genuine interest in food, who um, can, you know, fit into the Potter list in such a way where we can really help, you know, help them build their platform or help them express themselves um, through their cookbook and really introduce people to new ideas and new ways of thinking. Um, and for myself, I mean, I don't know. I'm just... I'm just cooking at home with my kids now. <laughs> we like to cook together. Yes, it's so We've much fun. We've cooked some epic meals together. We have. Um, I, I mean, first of all, cookbooks, I think, are going to just continue to be relevant. Um, it's the only sector of the book publishing industry that keeps growing. Like last year, I think it grew by like 25%. I think as the digital world only expands, like the actual desire to hold onto something physical and tangible and beautiful and relatively inexpensive that gives you such a an insight into a lifestyle or a culture or a country or a person like mm-hmm. is just even more appealing than ever and you know our attention spans are stretched by reading a cookbook our attention spans are shrunk online and somehow like being able to sit with a book on the couch like it's one of those few times when I, my phone just disappears and I don't I like lose track of time when I'm really reading a book that transports me somewhere so I think, you know, um, Christine Mulkey wrote um, like a holiday cookbook guide. And she said that the cooks that people, the books that people are interested in reading these days are books by home cooks. Mm-hmm. Like that's that people want can relate to other home cooks and the way that they cook. And that relationship that you can develop from a, as a home cook to a home cook, I think is going to continue to like strengthen mm-hmm. for myself. I'm going to write a second book. Um, sort of loosely inspired by Israeli cuisine, but a little bit with a little bit of a wider focus than Sababa. And I'll keep working with Chrissy Teigen and we'll just see where it goes from there. I love it. Well, everyone must, 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 they don't already have copies of Umami Bomb and Sababa and every other cookbook you mm-hmm. co-authored because they're all sitting on my shelf in my apartment. Um, but Thank you guys so much for coming. This was beyond inspirational. And especially as I'm coming to the end of uh, my process. Congratulations. Um, Jake, your book's going to be incredible. I can't wait. We're so happy for you. We shall see. I can't wait to make your tadig. <laughs> yes, there will be a How whole many? section. Oh yeah, I'm sure. There's Just gonna be it, more well, than it's one. it's going to be it'll be one main with a bunch of variations. Oh, That's exciting. a great idea. Yes, great idea. Well, thank you all so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at thefeedfeed and myself at Jake Cohen. If you have a tip on who the next social media culinary star will be, send us a DM. We will see you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.